Hello and welcome to the Powered by Rock podcast, where I'm going to be speaking with the Canadian punk band Handheld today. These dudes took a 14-year break after lead singer Andy left the band, only to return a few years ago. And this year, they put out one of the best punk albums of 2022 with their new LP, A Canadian Tragedy. The album is filled with some very interesting stories about mostly historical Canadian figures, which will be a topic of conversation today, as punk rock isn't necessarily synonymous with history lessons. But hey, let's give it a shot. We'll be speaking with these guys about their incredible new album and more right after this. You're listening to the Powered by Rock podcast with your host, Isaac Kuhlman. The Powered by Rock podcast was created to help showcase some of the best rock musicians in the world and to pass on to future generations the rock music that has inspired rock bands around the world for decades. We want listeners to be able to hear great stories and life experiences directly from their favorite artists, as well as dig deeper into music theory and talk rock like no other show you've ever heard. This isn't about looking cool. It's about getting real and having a great time. Without further ado, let's start the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power by Rock podcast. Today's a pretty rad day because I get to speak with the punk band Handheld about their music and their band's history, which is one filled with some cool achievements, but also some adversity, much like most bands. As always, the road to greatness is rarely a smooth one. Hey, guys, welcome to the show. Hey, Isaac. What's up? Hello. <laughs> a, little, a little later for you guys in the evening, as you can see, it's a little darker there. It's uh, still broad daylight here for me on the West Coast, which is nice. Um, but let's get right down to it, because I, I think most people are going to have this question. First of all, why did you guys break up, Andy? Why were you leaving? Did you just say, I hate these fucking guys, I'm out, or what? <laughs> um, and then what was kind of the catalyst and, catalyst and the conversation for when you were actually coming back a few years ago? You hate well, us. I think it's funny how I, I automatically get blamed for the whole thing <laughs> in 2008. Hey, um, I read I, it in a, in a, in a pseudo-Wikipedia page, okay? That's, that's where I read it. Yeah, yeah. I probably started the conversation. Um, I mean, we formed in 1998, played 10 years, uh, released a bunch of music, uh, toured around a bit, played a bunch of shows. I don't know. I think when 2008 rolled around, some of us were getting into the whole family mode thing, and it was just kind of, I don't know. I think Pat could probably support this, too. Our scene, at least in Ontario, was starting to kind of change a little bit. Um, some bands, like the punk rock thing, was really tend to soften, and so we, the shows were getting different. The crowds were different. I don't know, it just kind of sparked this thing at the time. Um, so that's kind of how the original demise happened. Um, yeah. The cool thing is, is that Pat and some of the other guys, Craig and the band, uh, they kept rolling. Uh, Pat started another band, Curbside. Um, pick, put the sticks down, picked up a guitar, started, uh, you know, doing the lead singer thing, which was pretty cool. Um, and I always kind of kept in touch with everybody and seeing what's going on. And then... Uh, in 2018, we started kind of talking about this reunion idea of like, Hey, you know, it's been 20 years since we stopped playing 10 years, sorry, 10 years since we stopped playing 20 years since we started, maybe we should just do like a reunion show or two started dicking around, playing in the hall, playing a little bit of music, talked about writing a few new songs, you know, that's one thing led to another. Uh, and then COVID came all of a sudden we were stuck, couldn't play shows. So we're like, well, let's keep writing. So we kept writing and writing and Pat and I just kind of pumped out this whole thing and before we knew it we had this whole another record so and now we're back playing shows and touring again so it's pretty rad that's awesome and uh pat uh, obviously as andy mentioned and as talking to you before you do have another band called curbside and that has some of the members of handheld as well i assume that sort of stemmed from just wanting to keep your creative juices flowing and and and, and moving forward on your side 
Um, and how are you balancing both? I think you're kind of pausing on one and, and then going. Yeah, full I, on hand I would say, now. yeah, I would say, you know, um, the curbside, um, when we basically when handheld stopped, we just, I had, you know, kept writing handheld songs and just kind of had nowhere to go with them. So asked a few of the guys to play and then a few other guys, good friends of ours and some other bands that they wanted to start something up. So that, that's kind of how that started. And uh, yeah, we were just, it's just kind of uh, just a fun band. And we, we really just like playing, never, never took anything too serious. So I wouldn't even say we really paused anything too much because we're always kind of just working on songs and playing shows yeah. here and there. So it was, it was definitely more of a, you know, maybe not as uh, back in the day when handheld was really given or we were never going at that pace. So it was kind of, it's kind of nice and laid back and relaxed and just still playing all the same songs we ever knew. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I can say from experience, obviously, as you get older, you get a job. You don't tend to uh, do so much touring. You can play a couple <laughs> yeah. local shows, right. you can play, you know, yeah. through friends' barbecues or something, but that's about it. <laughs> yeah, you're not hammering out to bust out those Monday, Tuesday nights. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're not you're not going over to Pennsylvania for like three people and then being like, all right, let's go to yeah. New Jersey for another 10. Yeah, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's kind of get down to the uh, the meat and potatoes of the conversation, which is to talk about mm. the new album, Canadian Tragedy. Obviously, you know, this is a – it's a bit of a change. It's, like, not exactly what you guys are used to, and it's not exactly what you guys have done before, but um, it's an incredible piece of work, and it's what I would basically consider a concept album, even if it didn't start out that way. But, you know, it's a bit of out of left field from your past albums. Did you guys have the idea of sort of a concept album before you went into this? Or did you guys just start writing songs and then started formulating something as it went? Um, I'll take this one. So no, not at all. Like when we decided to regroup and start playing uh, shows again, and, and, and or, or at least do like this reunion thing, um, I had a few songs in the basket from back in the day that I never really took anywhere. So when we started kind of writing, um, I had one song that had to do with Tom Thompson, who was a Canadian artist who just disappeared. And it was kind of this whole like murder mystery-esque style yeah. Perfect for the uh, murder era that we're in right now. Yeah, exactly. Like the whole uh, murder porn mystery era that we're in right now that women all love those, those yeah. murder podcasts. Yeah. Well, there you go, right? <laughs> so so I had this one song, and, and I don't know, I, I liked the way it kind of went together. Um, from a writing perspective, it was just something more storytelling kind of writing than it is like something about me or something about, you know pad or whatever like it wasn't really something specifically about us um and so i kind of rolled with that idea a little bit and i and i found a couple other similar kind of stories and i just kind of liked like the writing it was kind of like historic you're reading about it and all that kind of stuff and the guys were kind of really getting on me saying like oh great another canadian dead guy or whatever and i was like maybe we should like, yeah he was like he was like do a concept four, he was four songs into writing about dead canadians we're like <laughs> what is going on here yeah it so, was not intentional a concept album that would be the key no it, but then all of a sudden we were just chatting about it and we're like maybe we should actually focus it on that and so yeah. uh, and then of course we started talking about you know other types of tragedies like not necessarily people that have died and disappeared but like you know um stuff that's happening politically in, in our climate or like famous actors or whatever just like anything yeah. kind of had to do that canadiana and, and i don't think that's really been done from a punk rock perspective like i think there's other canadian bands that have done like that canadiana thing um but i don't know it was just something that kind of worked for us um 
and we just kept rolling with it. So, yeah, I think it's done really well because yeah, I think, like I said, you know, punk rock and history don't really necessarily go together. I mean, it might be political, but it's not usually, you know, storytelling about why, you know, you'll hear like maybe like a rage against the machine song that talks about like, you know, you know, Mexican labor in the United States or something like that. And you're like, Oh, I get that. But you don't really hear too many punk bands talking about something similar or even, you know, just, just history at all. So um, yeah, me being a history major from college, like it's very interesting to find out more and more about this stuff. So, um, and that's one of the reasons why I started this podcast was I wanted to have kind of a history of music on a podcast. So um, it's kind of a, like a double history of thing there being a musician myself. But I think that a couple of people that, uh, most Canadians and a lot of Americans would know as well, not necessarily everybody across the world, but most Canadians, well, for sure, most Canadians and almost a lot of uh, United States people, Americans would know uh, Tim Horton, obviously the ex-hockey legend and donut king. And then John Candy, the famous actor who I had to, I looked up when he died. I was, it was like 1994, 1992 or something. Yeah, like, it's, it is crazy how long ago that is, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I was like, I felt like he was alive in the two thousands, but no, I was like early nineties. I was like, wow, that's crazy. Um, you know, both of these guys are pretty much demigods in Canada. I sort of equate John Candy to like, you know, Chris Farley, John Belushi, and a very much alive Bill Murray, which is like just people who are bigger than life, right? These guys, if you ever see them, you're like, Oh my God, that's that guy. He's hilarious. You could just like die laughing just by looking at him. Right. And then obviously Tim Horton, super famous hockey player, both of them died roughly around the same age of 43 and 44. So what was it like to put songs together about these guys? Because they're just, you know, all from like, you know, they're, they're big, big people, right? They're, did you kind of look at it as like, you know, as a fanboy, or are you looking at it as like, you know, these guys are human and I'm going to try to humanize them when you're actually writing lyrics. Cause that's kind of how it comes out. Obviously. I think from a lyrical perspective, I was trying not to be so on the nose, you know, like we wanted to try to, have layers in, the, in our lyrics and in, in our writing almost kind of like like say the songs about something but it's actually about something else right and and maybe play it that way um like tim hortons is obviously super canadian right we got one like kw's where we're from as more tim hortons and like per capita than i think most of the country yeah. um but i don't think a lot of people maybe necessarily know that he was a hockey player or like really know how big a guy he was and how he no was i would like I would totally agree. But I would say if you ask the, you know, the consensus of Canada, most people know Tim Hortons from you know, the donut franchise. They don't yeah. know yeah. the hockey player. Right. Yeah. So it's almost like so a lot of people are surprised. Like, oh, right. him. Yeah. <laughs> and then I felt like in, in researching it a bit more, like uh, he was a really stand up guy, did a lot of cool stuff, but he also had some demons and whatever. And, you know, so this whole double double DUI thing was just like, OK, like this guy drove his car and smashed it and you know he was on drugs and 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 drinking and all this kind of stuff so it was kind of like factual but also trying to tie together the the donut side of the thing and the accident kind of thing and kind of meld them both together and it kind of creates that layer right like i made a point i think in the original uh first write of the lyrics i had like a rhyme that almost rhymed with tim hortons to try to like almost allude to that's what i was talking about and i think as things evolved we just pulled it out and just said, let's not say Tim Hortons. Like, we'll just reference it from various perspectives. And then there's a lot of little, like, Easter egg things we call them in those songs that uh, yeah, just from researching it, right? Yeah, well, and I can say, like, just from listening to WWDUI, on first listen, I wasn't really paying attention to lyrics, so didn't really think, like, oh, this is about Tim Horton. I knew it was about a hockey player, 
Yeah. And and then I started listening more intently and I was like, oh, this is definitely got to be about Tim Horton because I don't know anybody else that has donuts and yeah. like, bad coffee <laughs> or whatever. So I was like, all right, let's look at that. Yeah. And yeah, sure enough, like I think you, I think it's like what is like number eight hangs in the rafters or whatever the the first Number's line seven. of the album. Is. Yeah. Yeah. Eleven. Yeah, still, yeah. It's in the Hall of Fame still, right? Yeah. 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 The so they're yeah. So I, I was like, okay, so who's a famous number eleven or whatever? And I was like, oh yeah, Tim Horton. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. No, yeah, that's so, awesome. I, in fact, Isaac, that's the kind of at least for me, um, like I would say, Pat did a lot of the like we kind of take team these songs when we wrote them. Um, I kind of write music in its purest form. I use a piano mostly and I just write like very basic melodies and, and chord structures. And then I, we throw over to Pat, I call it the punk rock machine and he kind of starts putting in all the other stuff. Right. And so we really play back and forth a lot, but for me writing the lyrics, you're exactly what you kind of said, like people listening to the songs and kind of trying to find that second layer was really what I was kind of after from my side. Right. Not just. Yeah. So, you know, some people listen to music and they say, oh, I just listen to guitar licks or I just like drums or I just yeah. like the over, so overall song. Like when I listen to music, I really listen to the words and I really want to know what the guy's saying or what the girl's saying. And uh, I think it's really cool. Yeah. And obviously Pat's over there smashing out like 220 beats per minute. So the song's just moving yeah. at an incredible pace. <laughs> no, it's uh, <laughs> the writing process is pretty fun because it's uh, like Andy's, he's, uh, he's downplaying it a bit, but he writes these amazing like folk songs they're literally just like a folk song um like pretty much the furthest thing from a punk rock song so it's like super fun to move it over to that realm and and go with yeah. it because the melodies are there and the lyrics are there and it's yeah it's fun mm. yeah and, I, and i've said this before on a couple of previous episodes but i actually teamed up with a, a songwriter who was more of a folk rock artist and okay. like uh some some funny songs so like one of them was about going down on a chick and wanting to like, <laughs> okay. take her out for Thai food to discuss the possibilities of that happening and stuff. And yeah, so he's like singing this, like, you know, kind of like uh, Flight of the Concords or, you know, something like that, uh, you know, uh, maybe even like Tenacious D style. But then I'm sitting there like, I'm I'm going to play drums. I, I was always guitarist and singer, but it's like, I want to play drums to this because I feel like this could be way more punk, way more rocking. So I'd get in there, throw in a bunch of punk beats and stuff like that. And it turned out, you know, being way more rocking version. And he was like, holy shit, this sounds like real music now. And, yeah. and it's just completely, it's, I think it's just changes the complexity of a song when you have that kind of dynamic between, you know, like lyricist or, um, you know, guitar player or whatever and, and drummer, because that can change the dimension of everything. And I think Pat, it kind of goes towards the production of, of the, the side of this. Cause I know you did a lot with the product production side as well. So yeah. can you talk about that and, and how you got, you know, basically took these things and, and kind of pushed them in that, in that direction. Yeah. I will say it was probably one of the most fun writing process I've ever had because what I felt like was, you know, I've been, I've been writing, I felt like, you know, punk songs for 20 plus years. And then I was writing a lot in curbside, but it was, uh, I was writing everything from, you know, the, the guitar to the melody to the lyrics where I felt in this process, I was like, Andy was coming up with these great lyrics and these great melodies and just sort of like spoon feeding me. And he's like, well, here you go. So to me, it was like the hardest part was already done. And I just really just got to do the fun stuff and just yeah. like, okay, how can I, you know, play around with the arrangement? How can I make this heavy? What kind of riffs, what kind of riffs can actually fit over this melody? Cause the melody is already there. Um, so yeah, it was sort of super fun building up from, from literally just, you know, bare bones of, of the core structure of a song of just, you know, the chords and the melody. So yeah, mm -hmm. it was super, it was super fun to sort of see how far I could take it to just yeah. 
basically try to ruin his song is what <laughs> yeah. I would try to do every time. And, well, don't worry, and one day Andy's going Andy's to release a like a fireside version of all the songs where he just yeah. plays it on piano or something. Yeah, well, what's yeah. funny, so a couple points there. A couple, like Rick, especially in our band, our bassist, he really digs acoustic stuff. And so sometimes we would... I would just record it in its basic form like that, like just acoustics, no breaks, nothing. It would just, the song would start, do the whole thing and it would end. And, and Rick would be like, this should be an acoustic song on the record. Like, let's not expand on this. It sounds good just as it is. And yeah. Pat and I were like, fuck that. We're going to like see how far we can go and take it. The other interesting thing about this actually, and you kind of touched, touched on it earlier as it was about, um, you know, how we used to write songs and how we write songs now. And this process is very different, at least for me as a songwriter, than, what it was like in the old and older handheld days um, we were very much focused on music first and yeah. lyrics and melody second and i felt like in the 90s yeah yeah sure i mean it's like whatever we're just going for whatever at the time yeah. like you would rip out a song and one day at a band hall and been like okay this is going on the record um but oftentimes you're forcing melodies into music as opposed to writing melodies and then writing music around it and so i felt yeah. this process seemed to work a bit better and it totally helped with COVID because we were able to kind of focus on one song at a time as opposed to trying to write 10 or 11 songs at once. Like, yeah, we kind of went through that process of, of seeing how far we could take the demo before we kind of started the next song. So, yeah. And I will say I've always gone like music first. I always need some sort of like thing to put lyrics to. But mm. I remember the first time I ever heard of somebody doing a lyric first approach to writing. It was actually uh, Daniel Johns from Silverchair back in the 90s on their second album. Oh, yeah. And I heard that he wrote the lyrics first and put it to music. I'm like, how the fuck did he do that? I'm like, yeah. I don't understand the process. <laughs> well, at least for me. Yeah. yeah. I, what I try to do is try to find that kind of hook, like, you know, that yeah. whole double, double DUI, like it kind of rolls off the tongue. And then we have another song about talking about um, he's gone like Jimmy Hoffa. Like it just kind of had this, like, I'm like, Oh, that could be like a cool little hook. And then I'd start almost singing it in my head before I even sat down to, to figure out what the chord progression might be. Um, and then once I kind of got to that point, I would really just get through the whole melody and then we would go to, go to Pat with yeah. it. And of course I don't want to say like, you know, obviously Rick, our bassist is amazing. Craig and Joel, uh, both obviously with the digital era, that's the other thing that's totally changed for us since, you know, since our early 2000 days, like now we can send tracks back and forth, like nothing. Like I recorded yeah. half of the demo is sitting in my truck on a cell phone, just like <laughs> an app, just to kind of like figure stuff out instead of yeah. getting into a studio and, you know, doing it for real. So, yeah, that's, that's a great thing. Cause then everybody can also practice the songs without having to be in the same place at the same time as well. So not only do yeah. you get like more instantaneous, it's not instantaneous, but it's quicker than, Hey, let's set up some studio time. Let's get in there. Let's all practice or whatever. And that's 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 like hurting cats. That's almost impossible with five guys. Like, but if you can yeah. say, "Here's the bass," or "Here's the drums," especially with the here. cats, we have it's a lot yeah. of things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, especially uh, yeah. yeah. No, it's great. Mean, Andy could just he could drive his truck. He'd park in front of like an elementary school in the middle of the night. He'd weird all these people out. He'd be screaming inside of his truck to nobody. But really, yeah. he's recording an album. Like, really strange. Strange. Yeah, we, we joked about that a lot. The, at some point, that the cops are going to show up and be like, "Why are you in this parking lot every night?" And it's, just, it's like, literally. "I don't have my meds." Like, Sorry, guys. Who are you yeah, screaming it's like the at? My daughter goes to you know. It's just like, <laughs> yeah, good times. That's really funny. So I want to talk a few, a little bit more about some of the songs as well, because I know, and I don't want to harp on this politically too much, but because it's, it's a very sensitive issue in Canada. But you did write a song about uh, the 
the residential schools in Canada called School is in Session. Yep. Uh, these were, for anybody who doesn't know, they're religious schools, basically Christian Catholic schools, where they were trying to indoctrinate and assimilate Native and Indigenous people by sending their, by basically forcing their children into these schools, uh, a lot of them dying and being abused in the process. Uh, and then obviously, what, I think it was two years ago, something like that, a year or two ago, where 1,300 unmarked graves were found in, you know, from this, from this, uh, from this era. And, yeah, it's pretty shocking. I obviously won't have you guys necessarily comment on the political nature of this unless you want to, but I think, you know, I mean, even the Pope went to Canada and apologized for this, which was pretty crazy. Yeah, I assume you guys were just as shocked as anyone from this evidence when it came about? Um, definitely. I mean, I think in Canada, the residential school system is definitely something that's been known about. Like we have another song uh, and it's more like a goofy track with this uh, log driver, but it, it's like talks about Canadian heritage. And then when we were kids, there were a lot of Canadian heritage clips on, on TV and stuff. And so we learned about this stuff in school. Um, I don't think it ever got to the point, you know, that we figured there'd be these unmarked graves and things like that. Like that is yeah. just horrendous. Um, but it is definitely a touchy subject. I mean, the, the, the matter of Canadian tragedy, like we really talked about wanting to do it. And in fact, um, as far as the whole thing goes, Pat and I had a couple specific people in mind, like, you know, we did Tim Hortons and we, and we started trying, uh, trying to write about certain specific people. And then, you know, we just took a step back and said, you know, maybe we should just talk about this thing from a much broader scale. Uh, so we touch on a lot of those different uh, injustices in the song. Um, yeah. But you make a good point. Like, I mean, we're four white dudes in our forties, you know, five. So it's oh, not sorry. exactly. Four white guys. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. We're not, we're not like the experts on this thing, but we definitely felt like it's something that had to be said. And I'm it's, really happy yeah. that this is coming out and that there's hopefully going to be some kind of restitution across the board. Um, yeah. I don't think it's going to make a lick of difference for these people that suffered, but um, yeah. I mean, it's just, and, 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 you know, everybody talks about Canada as this big, like, ooh, everybody's super happy and friendly and maple syrup and whatnot. But there's there's these awful, you know, black pasts in all cultures. So, so yeah, I wanted to highlight it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I was going to say, I mean, it's nothing. It's it's like Americans can't even be like, oh, that's that's crazy. I can't believe Canadians did that. And you're like, but you're OK with the slavery thing or like, what are we talking about here? Like there's plus the. Uh, the trail of tears and all the other stuff we did to indigenous yeah. people. Like that's not even close. Like I'm not trying to compare atrocities or anything, but like when people are hear that stuff nowadays, it obviously didn't happen like yesterday or anything, but still it happened in more modern recent times. And most people expect that kind of stuff to happen. But you know, like China has you know, civil rights and human violation, human rights violations, all major countries do, but it's like, where do people start making a difference? How do they actually stop these things from happening? You know, most of Africa has this stuff going on constantly. Um, it, it's pretty insane that, you know, I think people are, are quick to just hear it, make judgment, and then sweep it under the rug again because they don't want to actually have to face what, what really is going on, which is crazy. Yeah, humans on a whole are horrible. I mean, I think there's a lot of good people out there, but there's a lot of really yeah. terrible ones. And that's history. Yeah. I mean, you read any history book, you know, look at, doesn't matter when, when you go back in time, there's all these kind of atrocities. So, yeah, exactly. But, yeah. So, one thing I will say is that obviously, when you talked about the Canadian heritage, Long Driver's Waltz and all that stuff, that's a, you know, it's a Canadian folk song. I hadn't heard of it before. Um, and I hadn't heard the song before because I'm not from Canada. <laughs> I have been to Canada. 
I haven't heard anybody singing that song on a pub. Oh, okay. that was a, <laughs> um, I was too busy eating my, you know, my poutine and, and poutine, yeah. you know, smoked yeah. meat or whatever, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> but you guys actually did inject your kind of own story into the log driver's wall. So can you kind of talk to me about what that song meant to you guys and how you're able to put your own spin on it? Yeah, sure. So that one actually was one of the ones that we kind of had in the pocket. I remember before we disbanded in the 2000s, um, Craig, uh, our guitarist, and I were, were commonly talking about that song, and we kind of whistle it. And when we were kids, essentially, we would watch cartoons in the morning, and there would always be these like little Canadian vignettes, and, and the government would basically play these little clips. Sometimes they were cartoons, sometimes they were like, you know, historical events, like talking about bringing people over from, like children over from Europe during the potato famine, or uh, you know, the residential school systems, all that kind of stuff. And the Log Drivers Waltz was just kind of this catchy folk song that we always heard when we were kids and so we had talked about how because it was a waltz and i mean that that song structure can be quickly sped up and put a puncture sure. like a backbeat behind it and so we kind of talked about the idea of doing this but also as 40 year old guys like it was right in our wheelhouse for like when we were kids right and so yeah. a lot of the people we're playing to probably also know it especially if you're from ontario or quebec or whatever so yeah um we really want to just play the song, but part of the issue is when you speed it up, play it really fast, it's over in like a split second. So we did talk about like putting this like personal touch on it. And really that was the last uh, verse of the song. I kind of just wrote what it was like and what, what it meant to me, right? Like when I used to watch it as a kid and, you know, I'll put a few jokes in there. Um, but yeah, so far we've been playing that song uh, live with a few shows we've done so far on the mini tour we just finished it's definitely and... part of our buffet of bits yeah it's, it's a good uh, bit yeah like it's it's a very as and you're saying it's like like i'm i'm not surprised in the slightest that you know in in the u.s that no one knows the song because it's it's just extremely localized to canada yeah. but it is it is very well known so yeah andy brings out the accordion and we like put a beard on somebody and we <laughs> crowd surf the log driver and we had all these grand plans to bring fake logs in and anyways we're we're building up the theatrics as we go, but it's, it's worked out pretty well so far. Yeah. It's a fun one. Too. Yeah. And, and I think obviously, you know, when you, when you take something like that and, and you guys even, you guys actually even took the original video, if I'm not mistaken, and put your music video to that. You that are vignette, not mistaken. Right? So like, yeah, I've seen both mistaken. side to side and I'm like, they're not, I don't know if they're exactly the same or not. I don't know if I caught missing yeah. something, but they no, look they exactly. Are. Oh yeah. We still have a copyright claim that's active from YouTube. So thanks YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> We cannot monetize on that. Kind of when we yeah. wrote this record, Pat and I talked about how, like who's going to sue us, and we tried to like make a list of all the different things, and so that might be one of them. We're not too sure. So just we did take the video, and we paid some. I, where was the guy from, Pat? That did it. Uh, the Philippines. Right? Philippines. There you go. Yeah. He basically specializes in putting comically large heads on cartoons. Yeah, so. he's the best in yeah. the business. The best, best in the business. Heads, yeah, heads yeah. on cartoons. That's his thing. Yeah, so we did that, but we did re uh, like I reclipped the the video so it just matched a bit better with the lyrics because the yeah. lyrics happen so much faster in our version than they do in the original. So we just yeah. kind of flipped it together, but yeah, it came out pretty good. Um, it didn't quite kind of go as crazy as we thought it would, but then Pat and I started talking about how you know the demographics probably pretty small. Like I think people... yeah, we're coming in at the youngest age that knows yeah. this song. Yeah, it's yeah. like. <laughs> People our age and 20 years of older are like the prime demographic. So, yeah, we maybe didn't think it fully through, but it worked. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> They're like, what's a computer? Yeah, yeah. No, it's all good. How do, what's, a, what's a YouTube? Yeah. yeah. 
YouTubes. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously we talked about some of the other, you know, other things that you guys put onto this album. Some, you know, well-known people, some lesser known people, some probably more well-known in Canada things like on a uh, group of six, like you talked about, I think it's Tom Thompson, if, if I'm not yep. mistaken. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, the, the group of six refers to the group of painters. Uh, Tom Thompson was one of which who died mysteriously. And then Ben the Iron, which details a railroad disaster caused by neglect and basically uh, workplace oversight for safety regulations, safety regulations. But then there are some pretty deep cuts like flip the script. Uh, I had to ask Pat about that one. I was like, I don't know what that, that was. That may be like. the deepest cut of them all. I, yeah. yeah. I'll let Andy explain that because I don't get it. Well, yeah, so this was this was back when I was riding the whole idea of like let's just find random people that have mysteriously disappeared in Canada, and I just stumbled upon this article about this guy from Niagara Falls who, you know, sometime I think it was in like the late forties, early fifties, was just kind of caught up with this Canadian mafia thing and he just disappeared, and so there was speculation about what happened, but there was also kind of this other side story to it where the article was written pretty recently actually maybe in the last 10 years and the guy was interviewing this boxer who um knew what happened to him and he was the first guy to really say like i think i know what happened to this guy like he was killed by the canadian mafia and all this stuff and so again it's one of those things where i i took all the snippets out of this article and kind of pieced it all together you know elaborated a bit to make it work and then you know yeah. put it into a song so yeah. um, that one, yeah, it's a pretty deep cut. Like, I'd be surprised if anybody anywhere has read this new, this article before. So Hey, it's yeah. one of the oldest cold cases in Canada. So Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Those, yeah. Yeah. Those true crime, you know, fucks yeah. all over it. Yeah. yeah. I feel like you guys should just do a podcast for each one of your songs, and then you'd be like, that's you know. That's not a bad idea. Well, we did, <laughs> you yeah, spent a couple about, hours on each one. Yeah, <laughs> what did, uh, well, there's always, you can do these, like, commentary albums now, right? We talked about maybe doing that, but well, we'll see. Yeah, Get people hear it at first. Huh? That's the that's the main thing. So one thing I will say is that a lot of Americans probably don't know this, but there was a there still is supposedly a very active mafia presence in Montreal in the port system there, and oh. how they used to smuggle drugs and all that stuff, and basically they controlled the you know the the shipping ports along I think what is it the the Saint Lawrence Saint Lawrence River, Lawrence River yeah. yeah. So I mean it's not far fetched for you know even people to go disappearing today if they wanted to. I mean, sure. these are, these are powerful people that aren't going to give up their throne. Yeah, you bet. And actually, well, I mean the whole, like the St. Lawrence river is pretty big river and uh, even Niagara falls, like people go over that falls all the time and it's not yeah. publicized. I mean, they find bodies and stuff. Anyway, yeah. uh, speaking of mafia, one of the ones that didn't make a cut, Pat and I, I started talking <laughs> about this idea of this big maple syrup heist that happened up here uh in quebec and this is like legit like i think netflix is actually doing a series on it or or like a documentary or something like that and that's why we actually didn't bother doing the song because we figured well someone beat us to the punch right but there was actually and apparently mafia ties of guys that were stockpiling maple syrup and like selling it you know they were holding on to it to like increase the price for profit yeah that's how canadian is that right like That's our, that's our, right. Yeah. Yeah. Cheese curds and maple syrup. (laughs) Yeah. And then obviously another one that I asked Pat about, which is a little bit lesser known, definitely not known to me was uh, somewhere over Kentucky Mm -hmm. about the death of uh, Stan Rogers, who basically, as, as Pat told me, he kind of mentioned like, like dying in a vessel, like a ship or something like that. And then he actually did die in an airplane. Right. 
So the the kind of what got me to this one lyrically was I was up in an area in northern, not northern Ontario. It's on uh, Georgian Bay, basically, which is uh, Lake Huron area. Um, there's an old ship that's like scuttled in the mouth of this river called the Nancy, right? And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And I thought mm, maybe I could do some research on this thing. And then when I started reading about the Nancy, it took me to a Stan Rogers song that he wrote about the Nancy. And then I started like, oh, Stan Rogers, I've heard of him. He's a folk guy. Um, and when I started researching Stan Rogers, then I found out that he died on an airplane uh, on an Air Canada flight. And he, he he actually helped change the the way aviation uh, rules are regulated in Canada because of this, this disaster that happened. Um, but he was simply just flying back and a, and a big fire started. Not Sorry, I shouldn't say a big fire. So a fire started somewhere in the plane, but it was more like electrical or whatever. Yeah. There wasn't enough oxygen in the plane. So when they landed the plane and opened the doors, this big flush of oxygen came in and basically burned everybody. Yeah. So yeah. I was like, holy crap. But the parallel in that song was, I, you know, I started it by looking at a, a, this boat that burned and sank and it ended at an airplane that landed and burnt. So it's like, oh, it's all kind of related. Right. So, yeah, yeah just kind of turn into a song and yeah i don't and like again stan rogers he's like he's a canadian legend like legend again for people yeah. our age and above yeah above, he is yeah he is like god of like you know canadian folk it's uh like do, do you know stan rogers like is that I know like kenny a, rogers i don't know stan rogers yeah. oh, <laughs> oh. And he's good too I, do you, have you ever listened to anything from him yet no i haven't okay we are going to send you some links it's it's yeah, like so the interesting like all thing this... about him is he has a very big East Coast style of singing. Um, there's kind of like this thing going on in the internet right now with everybody singing these sea shanties that are very like, you know, oh, yeah. low. And Stan Rogers, like that was kind of his thing, like very acapella. Um, that was his thing. Yeah. But like, yeah, he is legit. Like I got a letter in the mail the other day, like randomly, and it had a Stan Rogers stamp on it. Like, so in Canada, we have like, so he's, yeah, he's legit. So. But yeah, pretty tragic. I mean, he was yeah. pretty young. He doesn't look it. If you look up a picture of him, he was pretty young when he died, too. Yeah, well, back then, like, 30 was, like, 50. Right, <laughs> right. It was like, how? These guys He's look awesome, older yeah. than me, and I'm, like, 20 years older than them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> One thing I do want to kind of bring up, we talked about it before, but obviously, Pat, you were kind of producing and engineering a lot of this stuff from from what I've seen and from what I've read. But Yep. Uh, I'm curious as to how the fuck do you make it sound so good? Because I think you maybe should be doing some more production for other people. <laughs> well, see, it's funny because um, like a good amount of, you know, handout stuff, we've, we've been sort of demoing for, for years and years. Um, and I really, I probably the first one I really started with was our self-titled record. That was from 2008. Um, so I did most of the production with that one and, uh, that was a learning process for sure. Um, but we had done sort of demos for that album and for labels like years before that. So, so yeah, I've been working with, with our songs for a while. And then, and then when handheld disbanded, um, and we did uh, a bunch of us did the curbside thing, I did both of those. So that was probably like the biggest, um, you know, I learned a lot doing like, like full lengths from the, from the start to, to finish. Of sort of like how how do the workflow and all that kind of stuff and then yeah so then i kind of just took off from there when we were sort of demoing for this record i was kind of talking to Andy. i'm like why don't we just do this thing like i bet we could just do it 
Um, so I basically, yeah, just did the production for the whole thing. Took it as far as I could. And then, and then for the final uh, mix and master, uh, we reached out to uh, John Harkis. He's out of uh, Scotland and like really specializes in sort of like punk and metal uh, mixing and mastering. And, and really he, I got to give all the credit to the, the final sounds uh, to him because he really took it to that next level. Like yeah. I, I even remember having arguments with the guys, like when we were done with my production, like I, Andy, you can admit like a bunch of the guys were like, this is good enough. This is good. Yeah. Press but, it. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Like they were, they were happy with where I had it, but I just, there's something about, you know, a really trained ear for mixing that is, I don't know, you, you either have it or you don't. And I, I, I can, I can admit that I don't have it for mixing. It is, it is such a trained ear and such a talent. So having, having this John Harkis do that just really, really took it to the next level. Cause like, to be honest, we took it almost as far as I could take it, like to the point where we were ready to press out with it. Um, and then we sort of gave it over to him and then he really took it across the finish line. So I think it was really those two things. It was, it was pretty fun. Yeah. yeah and I was going to mention him cause obviously I saw that, you know, he's the one that makes the master it and, you know, I've, I've produced my own albums before and, you know, I've done the mixing and mastering and it sounds okay, but it doesn't sound like that. Right. So like when I yeah. go to master stuff, all I do is go like this to the volume. <laughs> right. It's the mastering process. <laughs> well, yeah. I think the other thing that's important yeah. to remember here is just our history. Like most of our records, you know, up until 2008, like we only really ever had, I would say Pat one good solid recording where we went into like, a semi-professional studio and just banged out like an EP three song kind of deal. And we were like, wow, I can't believe how good this can sound. But a lot of our records previous to that, I mean, we did what we could. We had a buddy that had a basement studio and we would go in there and we'd be like, okay, no click, no real tech. It's like, okay, here are the songs, play them live off the floor. We would just kind of do them, you know, put the vocals on after. And um, that's one yeah. thing well, I was going to ask. Why did the old one sound like such shit? But you know, just... yeah, that's why. That is why. <laughs> yeah. But no, I will say, like with COVID and this, like it's a little bit like you go into almost insanity. And I think any like home, you know, producer, recording, mixing engineer will go. In. Like I would go through like every, like every BPM into every chord and just like just just you know focus on the minutia of everything to get it. Because you can't, like, to me, I was like, well, I can, this is free. We're not yeah. spending by the hour at a studio. So why not get this right and get every little take exactly perfect. So, <laughs> so we've never done that with a record before for us. It was just like Andy was saying, just like hit record and go. And that was it. Yeah. So, so with this one really labored over, over everything. Um, mm. Like we, we got insane with the amount of, backups we did and overdubs and it was a blast it was super fun yeah yeah it is one thing to be able to do that and you know mess with your own process and your own music and experiment a little bit right because it doesn't cost you anything it just exactly. doesn't sound good or not <laughs> yeah very cool so i know you guys actually just got done i think it was not last week but the week before i think you just came off a tour with the band mute uh kind of across a little bit of canada as well so how was the tour? And <laughs> oh, it was really good. Yeah, it was. Uh, unfortunately, mute uh, had to bail out the last second. They had some problems with their van. Was it really? Etienne, get that yes. steering fluid replaced. JP, <laughs> pump right. up those tires. Kick that rust out. But anyways, it was good. 
Um, we actually had a blast. So luckily we were out with Debt Cemetery as well. Some really That's good right. buddies of ours. Amazing band. Uh, every single one of those guys is super talented. And they put on an amazing live show. So so we headed out with Debt Cemetery, And yeah, we did bunch of dates across ontario and it was it was a blast we had some some really good shows um and for us it's been uh it has been like i don't know 16 years since we were all in a van um, yeah. turn around together so it had been a while and it it honestly felt like no time had passed yeah yeah i would say the one real difference with this band than any other people i played with or people i talked to is that there's not any like musicians for hire like most of these guys are just they're literally um, like our buddies from elementary school. Like it yeah. wasn't like, oh, hey, we need this guitar. It's just like, well, he's on the same street and he's my yeah. friend. So so the dynamic is a lot different than, uh, you know, a lot of bands will just do, you know, music for hire. So so it's a blast. It's just like going on the road with your best friends. So it was a good yeah. time. And I mentioned that that kind of the similar upbringing because I grew up in North Dakota, which oh, is yeah. essentially South Canada for most, yep, most sure. purposes. Yep. Um, yeah. played punk in a punk band there basically had to teach my friends how to play punk music because they were like, well, one of, one of them knew how to play piano and trumpet, but his, his grandpa played drums. So he had a drum set. So I was like, well, I kind of know how to play drums, but if you can play it, like I can, I can throw down some drum beats. You follow this to this and just make it better. And then I had to teach our, our other friend how to play bass from scratch just so we could have a band. <laughs> so were you the drummer then? No, I was a lead singer and guitar player. I only oh, started re- well. I started playing drums after he left his drums at my house. Oh yeah, classic. Yeah, it's wherever the drums end up, that's where the fun <laughs> <Yeah>. is. <laughs> so I basically like we had the rehearsal area in my house, so I would just play everything, get it ready for them, and be like, "Here's what I got. You take that and and kind of make that better." Um, but yeah, they were guys I grew up with from middle school, so uh, it was. I knew that we were never going to make it that far because we weren't that talented. <laughs> so <was> yeah. Like... <laughs> hey, don't let that stop you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that is true though. Like Pat Craig and I lived in the same street. Um, and Rick lived, he went to school with us. And now our new guy, Joel, who he plays in a, a bunch of other bands too. Um, Frank Dukes call out. Uh, what's the other one? Uh, Poltergeist. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Is he in another one or is that it? That's the good one, yeah. <laughs> anyway, Joel was like a handheld super fan. Like when we so when we regrouped, um, we definitely talked. So in 2008, when we stopped playing our last record, we only had one guitarist, and that was Craig and then Rick. So we kind of definitely felt like we had, I don't know, a better time with with two guitars, right? Like just a bit more versatility and whatever. Um, and so we kind of wanted to regroup and bring that fifth or that second guitar back in so we talked about who could possibly do that and joel was just like a shoe-in because we yeah. were like well he knows all our songs he's been watching us since we were you know when we, when we were playing around here years ago and so it didn't take much convincing we just said hey do you want to come play a re-? well what is funny is we said hey you want to play a reunion show with us and he was like absolutely he's like i can learn you know 10 songs or 15 yeah. songs or whatever and play a couple shows and then as covid came and we're like well joel we're writing all these new songs that gets her in the band now. And, and he's, uh, he's been great. That's awesome. He's been so shit, I, th- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's pretty much all I got. Have you, have I missed anything that you guys, you know, else that you guys have going on or looking, you have, you know, that you're looking forward to in the next few months? Yeah, it's just been, uh, I would just say the response to this record has been 
amazing way way better than we ever thought it's one of those it's hard to tell too like that you know back really before the last you know five years of anybody um you know independent bands it's it's really hard to tell you know the reach of your music you know unless you're playing shows and we're not playing shows globally other than you know festivals here and there so it's been uh it's been a huge surprise to see all the people that you know had listened to us in the late 90s in the early 2000s um that have been like hey i'm so excited your stuff's back out and they're really into this record so it's it's been an amazing response so it's been super fun for that and we're we're just like really looking forward to now basically touring out this record and playing it um because i think as we've got a consensus that you know all five of us love all the songs on this thing so we just want to play it and yeah. uh so you're all yeah, putting a a bunch of good... going on the road yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, That's right. that'll go over real well. But yes, yeah. well, we're doing what we can. We're trying to play, uh, you know, at least in, in clumps. And yeah. uh, I don't know. It's different now too because I mean, it's you go back to the fact that you have jobs, and I mean, there is the ability to to go treat it more like a vacation than than a job, right? And so, yeah. whatever, it's charity work. Yeah, go play somewhere. And I mean, yeah. so Pat mentioned, you know, we're not touring globally, but could we maybe i don't know yeah. like there's been some discussions about festivals overseas and small stints with other bands and things like that and i mean that's what we always wanted to do way back in the day so if it presents itself as an opportunity now we're going to yeah. do our best to, to see if we can do it yeah well who knows maybe you guys can come down to punk rock bowling and uh play in vegas here there you absolutely. go absolutely that's yeah. on the list just needing yeah. in you got it yeah I'll, I'll see what i can do i don't know anybody there but uh I'll see. Okay, <laughs> perfect. I got about six Canadian bands that are better than most of the yeah. bands around here right now. So, oh no way! Well, there you go. Yeah. So I think what we'll do is we'll obviously add some links to the music to uh, Stan Rogers in the show notes below, and and oh just yeah, absolutely, completely, Got a completely shout ignore out all of handheld and just just yeah, Stan that's Rogers. right. Can we just do a dedication to Stan Rogers? <laughs> He's gonna blow your mind. Seriously, <laughs> you're gonna be mind blown. I'm so excited <laughs> that you haven't heard him. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, you know, the, 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 for anybody who hasn't listened to a Canadian tragedy or hadn't heard any of the previous albums, all that music, everything, all the links to all you guys' stuff is going to be below. I believe you guys have just had some of your, um, do you have your own beer now or is it just cause you're drinking? No, this is a shout out to our sponsors. Uh, nice. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. We are in talks uh, with somebody about making a beer. Um, nice. but we don't have a beer yet now. Yeah, and I think you guys' vinyl has just kind of shipped recently, right? So I think people are starting to actually get their vinyls. Are you guys still – do you still have some available? Still got uh, vinyl. I hear I hear we're getting short on the gold ones, but we've got, we've got gold, we've got red, and we've got – we did press some CDs, mainly for our diehard collectors that want the whole discography so we can complete the CD gotcha. discography. Yeah. Gotcha. Records are selling. And we have one tape set. Them. Yeah, the gold ones are running out, but the red ones uh, are in stock, and you can pick them up. Uh, we have some for sh uh, shows, obviously, but you can certainly get them uh, online a thousand islands. Yeah. Very cool. There, there you, you go. go. Oh yeah, there's. <laughs> That's you're, the, you're the other, the, the one and other person. There's two people that have all those, and you're yeah. one of them. No, there's yeah. a couple. I don't know those Discog guys. They're. <laughs> I don't have any of them. They're hardcore. Yeah. No, I'm, I don't <laughs> even have a complete. I'm missing one. Oh yeah. That's funny. Anyways. All right. So before we go today, I'm going to ask you one question. What new music would you recommend people check out other than a Canadian tragedy by handheld? Mm, good question. Patrick, what do you think? 
Oh, you got to check out. I got to give a shout out to our boys, Dead Cemetery. Check that out. Check out Dave Caputin's amazing band. Check out Dead Cemetery. Got to listen to them. Yeah, they're, they are that's great. Dead Cemetery, like D-E-B-T, not Dead yeah. Cemetery. Yeah. So yeah. Kind of sounds like and Dead Cemetery. And Cemetery is spelled different because that's what they do. That's right. Yeah, it is. Andy, you don't have anything? You don't listen to any new music? <laughs> well, it's funny, Shut actually. Up. We have Shut talked up. about that quite a bit because when I when we stopped playing, I, I, we, I would say I kind of fell off the radar. Like, I still listen to a lot of the – I don't know about you, Isaac, but I listen to all the stuff that I listened to back in, like, the 2000s still, you know. Yeah. But That's what's really cool is I now have this, like, 16-year, like – cloud that i'm now going into and finding i'm like oh wow i can't believe i've never heard this record or this and that like yeah. you know uh i've been listening to a lot of propaganda lately uh nice. yeah i don't know there's a. Uh, I think it's really cool with the way the internet is now right like with spotify one of the things that i've been doing lately is just kind of letting it go because it you yeah. know, the algorithms just start spitting out these bands and you're like, a slave well, to the algorithm you love it hey well we all are pat you know it <laughs> very cool all right, guys, I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. Pat and Andy from Handheld. Uh, go check out their music. Go check out the show notes below this for all the links. Uh, you know, the new album is awesome. Like I said, I think I, I, I don't remember what the rating was, but it was like 4.8 or 4.7, something quite high because I really, really did enjoy it. It's one of the best punk albums of the year. And then you can see it. Pat's holding it up there. It looks like oh. a little, what is it, like the microfiche or microfilm? You got it, yeah, thing. it's a microfiche. Microfiche. Yeah. Yeah, so I, remember, I remember getting that shit in the library when I was a kid. Yeah, <laughs> that was sweet. And I'll also put some links in there for Pat's other band, Curbside, which has some of the members of Handheld as well. So you can check out that music. Uh, and then, guys, remember, Powered by Rock podcast is powered by our listeners. If you want to show some support, please be sure to subscribe and share the podcast on social media. If you ever want to voice your opinion or ask a question, please head to our anchor.fm slash Powered by Rock site to leave a message, and it may air on one of our future episodes. You can also make a donation to the podcast to help us keep making some awesome episodes with awesome guests like these two here. You can find that link in the notes as well. You can see the full video interview on YouTube and Spotify now as well. If you want to check out some of our articles, album reviews, lists, and interviews, go to PoweredByRock.com to read our absolutely free rocking blog. Also find our merch and gear so you can play and look like a rock legend. That's our show for today. Until we see you soon for the next episode, rock on. Supposed to be